It's wonderful to have the opportunity this morning to continue our sermon series looking at the book of Genesis in context, where we look at how this book of Genesis is the greatest sociological work of the ancient world. Regardless of its profound spiritual and theological truths that it teaches us about God, it explains human nature in a way that we don't find anywhere in a depth and degree that we don't find anywhere prior to the teachings of Christ himself. And we also begin to see in Genesis how God is at work in human nature, in the good and the bad, in redeeming us and bringing us back together into the the family of God. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at our backstory, we've looked at where we came from, and now we are looking today at our problems, that our problems begin from the very beginning. From the very beginning, our problems begin, and you don't have to go too far in our world to figure out that we as people have problems. You'll, you'll notice it if you just go down the street. Drive down Kingston Pike on any weekday between the hours of 7.30 and 6.30 and you will find the problem with humanity. The problem with humanity is that we often think our problem is bigger than your problem, right? Our biggest problem is we think our problem is bigger than your problem. And so how that plays out when we think our problem is bigger than your problem on Kingston Pike is is that we think I left five minutes too late. I have the right to drive aggressively and cut in front of you and put your safety at risk Because my problem is bigger than your problem. And when somebody does that, our emotional reaction within our vehicle, even after we safely navigate the situation, shows that we disagree. We think our problem is bigger than your problem. I was once in a Chick-fil-A parking lot. I just met with a man and we were meeting about prayer. We were meeting to talk about prayer prayer. He, he was an older pastor and he was something of a spiritual mentor to me. And we'd had this meeting about prayer and we're walking out to the parking lot and a pickup truck drives by and it drives by us in the parking lot a little too close for comfort. And he takes his fist and he bangs on the back of that truck as it goes by and he shares a few choice words with the driver. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm just not close enough to Jesus yet. Our problem is we think our problem is bigger than your problem. And it's funny when everybody's okay and it happens in a Chick-fil-A parking lot. It's not funny when it leads to death, destruction, and genocide. But that same issue leads that far in human history. And it's been around since the very absolute beginning. If you want to see a good articulation of where it comes from, research the 1971 Stanford Prison Experiment. Some of you may be familiar with this. A few years back, there was a book written on it called The Lucifer Effect by Philip Zimbardo, which if you'd like to read about 350 pages of it is pretty good. You can also Google it and get it in about 3.5 paragraphs. I'm going to try to give you the 3.5 paragraph 
version today. Here's what they did. They took a random set of students at Stanford and they randomly decided who would be the guards and who would be the prisoners. And then they, they set up a mock prison and they made them actually live for several days. They are wanting to go up to a week in this environment. And then as they did, they began to tell the guards that they were selected not randomly, but because they showed better character strengths than those who were selected to be prisoners. And the guards began uh, to think of themselves more highly than the prisoners. And they began to treat these people who had been imprisoned voluntarily for a psychological experiment in extremely abusive and damaging ways that were, made it obvious that they looked at them as less human than themselves, so much so that they had to cut, off of the exper- cut the experiment off before it was complete because it was doing so much harm to the participants. That is the problem in all of us, right? That is what we call sin living in us. Uh, in Genesis terms, we would call that original sin, that there is something fundamentally altered that is not in line with God, God's desires, God's creation, working with, within us that puts us above others and places within each of us, each of us, uh, the power and the potential to abuse and harm and to do so without even thinking much about it or without even being fully concerned for the full consequences of our actions on others. Living as people within this world where we find sin living within us to cause us to make our problems bigger than yours and to go a step farther than that and dehumanize you every day. Every day we must come back to God. Every day we must come back and we must pray what what we prayed together this morning. God, help us see as you see. Because until we see others as you see them, we'll never love them as you love them. We'll never serve others as you would would have us serve. And this is why Jesus teaches us that you can't love God without loving your neighbor. In fact, he he says those are the two greatest commandments. Uh, You you can go further uh, in uh, the... New Testament, and you'll find that some of the epistle writers were even more blunt about it, saying, hey, if you don't love your neighbor and you say you love God, you're a liar. That's in the New Testament too, because the two go fundamentally together, and we must go back to God each day for the power to do this because we have a problem. That's why we encourage you every day, go to the Scriptures. Go to the Bible reading plan at concordunited.org slash Bible. Pick one up. We've got scripture selected for you every day of the year other than Sunday when you're worshiping and we give you scriptures within uh, the, the messages. It, you can pick that up uh, at the information desk. You can get it online. You get daily devotional online and email or podcast form that will help you go deeper, help you pray. Because the only solution, the only cure for sin living within us is the Holy Spirit living within us. And the Holy Spirit overpowering sin living within us. And the Holy Spirit waits for an invitation. God's Spirit is always surrounding us, but to live within us and to guide us, the Holy Spirit waits for an invitation. We need to not just extend that invitation once in our lives. Once we extend that invitation, we need to extend it every single day. And we 
we saw some of the worst ways that the problem with humanity that we see beginning in Genesis has played out in human history this week in the terrorist raid by Hamas into Israel and some of the atrocities committed against children, women, elderly that are almost unspeakable. And to to see the suffering that is now going on in that part of the world. I was struck by the suffering in that part of the world. That part of the world where Christmas occurred, right? That's where near where Jesus came into this world. Well, yesterday, as a follower of Christ, I was getting ready for Christmas. Do you know how I got ready for Christmas? I got ready for Christmas by going with my family, my wife's side of the family up in Bristol, And we went to the Hallmark store. You know why we went to the Hallmark store? Because yesterday they released new Christmas ornaments. And you've got to get them while they last. That's how we were preparing. And people in the part of the world where Christ was born are getting into bomb shelters. And trying to find safe places. uh, And praying for what the future might hold we live in a world with significant problems. Uh, and we, we live in a world uh, where some people live in relative safety uh, and some people uh, struggle to know the, the meaning of the word because of their context. Now, what we saw Hamas do, we would call terrorism. In the book of Genesis, it would be called raiding. They would call that a raid, a raid where the lives of the people you raid uh, are not much of your concern, uh, where you might maim and kill, or you might take, we, we would call it host, taking people hostage. They would call it taking people into, into slavery. And we actually see that within the book of Genesis. If we go back to Genesis 14, we find that, and we're going to pick up with Genesis 14, 1 through 3. And what, what we find here is there are some nations that have conspired together and there are some kings who have made uh, alliances and they are going to go to war with one another. This is at the same time that Abram and his nephew Lot both are overseeing large family farms within this region. And now we pick up with Genesis 14, 1 through 3. In the days of King Amraphel and of Shiner and King Arach of Eleazar and King Chedorlaim of Elam and King Tidal of Gilam, these kings made war with King Bera of Sodom, King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Sinab of Adma, King Shemeber of Zeboam and King Bela, this is Zoar. All these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Dead Sea. Okay, so we see that it's this valley around the Dead Sea. This is where things, this is where the battle's going to go down. This is where it will take place. And then we're going to skip to verse 10. Now the valley of Siddim was full of betumen pits. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, Some fell into them and the rest to the hill country. So the enemy took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. And they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother who lived in Sodom and his goods and departed. They captured him. Uh, They took him hostage, uh, him and all his family and all his goods and planned to enslave them. This this is what happened. This... uh, and so what happens after, after that? Uh, 
Well, Abram comes together, and Abram gathers a force. And uh, when we come uh, later, we we find this, that uh, as we continue with verse 13, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol of Aner. These were the allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his nephew had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, both in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and routed them and pursued them to Horbah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the goods and brought back his nephew Lot with his goods and the women and the people. This is what we see very early on. taking place, Uh, that there were these wars and there were these raids that took place where innocent life was cast aside uh, and where it was simply, uh, those are not not members of our tribe, so we will kill indiscriminately and we will enslave. It happened from the very beginning of human history, and we've seen it again, and we see the response to it. And what we want to make sure when we see these world events is that our response is Christian. That's our goal. So today we're going to take a moment to talk about the situation and to talk about Christian ethics. And I want to share with you what Christian ethics are. Christian ethics is not our ability as Christians to say, this particular way is the exact only way you could ever possibly see anything. And everyone who has any difference with us uh, politically or uh, in matter of fact about how we think this should be exactly done is entirely out of line with any of God's intentions. That, that's not it. Consider Christian ethics like the boundary lines. Think about a baseball diamond. Actually, I'm a Braves fan. I don't really want to think about a baseball diamond. Think about a football field. You, 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 have, you have boundary lines, and that's inbounds. And there are things you can do inbounds that you can't do out of bounds. There are things you can do in bounds that would be criminally chargeable if you do them out of bounds. Well, the boundary lines for Christianity is say, okay, this is what's in bounds with what we know of Jesus' teachings. And we also know the world's complicated. And we know some things are black and white, but we also know there's a lot that's gray. And so we don't say that we know exactly what to do in every situation. If you disagree at all with us, you disagree with God. But we say these are the boundary lines Christ has given us. And so we want to look at this situation and then say, Christ, what are the boundary lines you've you've given us for how we can understand and understand where this situation came from. Uh, one of the more popular Google searches in the last week has been, what is Hamas? Some of you may have done that Google search, and you would have found out that Hamas is an organization that was started in 1987. It's officially considered a terrorist organization by the United States and many other countries. And it was started because of their concerns uh, that the Palestinian Authority was compromising too much with Israel and would compromise and give up too much land in pursuit of a two-state solution. It was a 
for an organization that was more willing than previous organizations in that area to use violent force. Now, you might also be wondering, what is Palestine? Of course, Palestine uh, right now are certain lands, primarily in the West Bank around Jerusalem and in the Gaza Strip, uh, where Palestinians live uh, with some form of autonomy, but not complete autonomy uh, from Israel. Now, within those lands, there are interesting makeups. Within the West Bank, there are a significant number of Palestinian Christians. Palestinian Christians make up by far the, the largest minority population uh, outside of Sunni Muslims within the West Bank. There are almost 46,000 Christians, Palestinian Christians living in the West Bank. Uh, not nearly as many in Gaza. In Gaza, uh, Christians account for less than 1% of the population, and there are only about 1,000 Palestinian Christians living in Gaza. Again, the, the large majority is Muslim and Sunni Muslim. When we saw the terror and what, what took place there, uh, we asked ourselves, how, how could this how could this happen? We were flabbergasted by it. We were horrified by it. And we just tried to think, how could this happen? Well, a few years back, I believe it was 2006, Hamas officially was elected to power in Palestine. Uh, they subsequently, uh, through a convoluted set, set of circumstances, shut off future elections. So you can't really say they're currently democratically elected. They got elected and then they shut down the system to, to some degree. You can read more uh, about how all that takes place. But they were able to grow in their power uh, and in their ability to carry out such raids, such terrorist activities as what we saw. And within the response to it, uh, we have seen responses to it uh, that are out of bounds uh, with what we would call Christian ethics. The, the first Christian ethic is always to pray for those and to seek comfort for those who, who have been harmed. That's the first Christian ethic. You have heard some voices in our world go so far as to say that because it seems like in Israel's uh, power over the Palestinian areas, Israel has not always been fair with that power, that the raid was justified. Friends, that is out of bounds. That is far out of bounds. That There is no area within Christian ethics where that perspective can be considered in bounds. It is thoroughly out of line with any teaching of Christ or any Christian ethical teaching that has come through the church through the centuries, that you will find justification for that point of view absolutely nowhere in the New Testament. It is a misunderstanding of one of the hot-button terms that you hear thrown around sometimes called intersectionality. Intersectionality, if you look it up as it's understood socially, politically, 
is a term that describes power imbalances. The problem is some people overlay morality onto that and assume that those who are lower on the chart of power, uh, that they are moral and those who are higher are always immoral. And when you do that, you make just as big a mistake as not understanding how power dynamics work. And that is what has often led to this point of view uh, that somehow something like this could be, could be justified. The fact of the matter is there are people who have lots of power who are very moral and people who have lots of power who are very immoral. And there are people who have very little power who are very immoral and there are people who have very little power uh, who are quite moral. And then uh, on the other side of things, we hear some voices uh, that say that when something like this happens to you, uh, that you have a blank check to do anything anything at all, no matter the harm it causes to anyone to respond, that's also out of bounds with Christian ethics. You, you won't find that in the teachings of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had people who followed him uh, and people who uh, in his world were called zealots. They engaged in what we would call terrorist activities, trying to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus rejected their methods. He rejected it. Uh, he rejected their methods when it was those who were being oppressed violently trying to, to, re, to uh, stab back at those who were oppressing them. And by the way, uh, considering how they were treated, uh, the Roman government was actually fairly mild compared to many emperors who had conquered Israel in, in the years before, uh, though it was problematic. And and Jesus rejected the right of the Roman government to do anything they wanted to, to the people of, of Israel. He knew that. Do you remember when he was born? Do you remember what happened? What happened was King Herod came and King Herod wiped out all the children in his area. Genocide. Because King Herod was scared that Jesus would rise up and be king of, of Israel. And do you notice there was no effort after that to overthrow King Herod? In those days, that was just the way the world worked. I mean, it was regrettable. It caused a lot of strife and suffering, but there was no international coalition to go in and remove King Herod after that. This, this was something that, that could be done in the ancient world. In fact, the fact that we are horrified by the events in Israel and Gaza demonstrates the influence of Jesus on human ethics. Because Jesus came with a human ethic that had never been seen before that said every life is sacred. Every life is sacred. That, that human ethic had never been taught on that scale and sometimes because we're so used to the teachings of Christ, we don't realize how radical they were in his day. There are groups out there who seek the eradication of Israel. There are Israelites who on the news channels offer prayers calling not for the eradication of terrorism, which is what we prayed for today, but for the eradication of their enemies. When you pray for that, when you teach like that, it's not a far step 
to demonizing others. It's not a far step for going much too far. And it's, it's also why the book of Genesis contains an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was, that's, that's not in this world brutality. That's a very moderate stance in the world of Genesis. And so what are we to do as Christians in, in this world? Uh, we're, we're to follow Jesus. Now, I should also say this. Within Christian ethics, it is within Christian ethics to believe that there are times when a violent response to an action may be necessary and that there are times when that response might unfortunately place innocent people in harm's way. That's within the boundary lines. Christians can debate about that, but it is within the boundary lines What's not within the boundary lines is that we can demonize. What's not within the boundary lines is that we can hate. What's not within the boundary lines of, of Jesus is that we can look at ourselves as having lives that are more sacred than, than others. And this is hard for us because it's not how we're wired. And I want to share with you very quickly from Genesis 27. This is Jacob on Esau. And I'm going to give you the five-minute synopsis of Jacob and Esau. And I'm going to try to give you the five-minute synopsis in 2.5 minutes. Because I know you have to get to Sunday school. So he, here, here goes. There's a man named Isaac. He's Abraham's son. Took Isaac a long time to be born. We're glad he was. Uh, Isaac eventually ha has children. And Isaac has children. And he has uh, a, a wife. His wife is... Uh, and his children are Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau are twins. Esau is born first, and Jacob is conniving. And Jacob is his mother's favorite. And Jacob connives away to steal his brother Esau's birthright and blessing so that he will inherit his father's property. Esau figures it out. You should read all about this. The book of Genesis is fascinating. I'm just going to read a little bit about this to you. We're going to pick up in Genesis 27 with verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob. Hear that word? Hate. Esau hated Jacob. Because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, flee at once to my brother Laban and Haram, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger against you turns away, and he forgets what you have done to him. And then I will send and bring you back from there one day. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So here's what happened with Jacob. Here's what happens with Esau. Here's what happens that causes so much strife in our lives and across our world and even in our own households. Greed causes us to make ourselves into gods and everyone else into our subjects. That's what greed causes us to do. It destroys our personal relationships. It destroys uh, our world and our political communities because it causes us to make ourselves into gods and everyone else into our own subjects. That's, that's what Jacob did. Uh, 
he, it, it wasn't fair that Esau was going to inherit everything just because he was born five minutes ahead of Jacob. In fact, he wasn't even born five minutes ahead of Jacob. Jacob was grabbing onto his heel. From the time they were in the womb, Jacob was trying to pull him down and, and take his place. But it's not fair. But it's how things were in that society. And Jacob decided that because it wasn't fair, he had the right not just to ask for an even share, but to take all of it. He had the right to do to Esau what had been done to him. And he did it. And that's that's what he did because he thought his problems were more important than Esau's. He thought his life was of more value than Esau's. And, and that's what we do. And how in the world do we ever get out of this conundrum? Much less what's going on in the Holy Land right now. How do we ourselves ever get out of this? How, how do we ever find a world of peace and justice in, in the midst of this? And maybe that's why Jesus said, don't be surprised when wars happen. Don't, don't, just don't be surprised. This, this is how human, humanity works. This is why our problem was so bad that God had to give his son, and not just send his son, but give his son's life. So what do we do? Well, all we can do in our personal lives, we can't fix the world. God will do that. One day God will do that completely. But what we can do in our lives is take the first step for us. And the first step towards healing is to humanize those we have demonized. Who, who have you demonized? It, it might be a political group. It might be your spouse. It might be your kid. It might be your neighbor. It might be your coworker. It might be your teacher. It might be your principal. And you might be a teacher and it might be your principal. But who, who have you demonized? How can you humanize them? How can you look at them and say, if I grew up in that situation, if I was placed in that situation, I don't know that I'd be like that. I hope I wouldn't, but I could be. How do you look at them and say, I don't understand you. You appall me. You horrify me. Christ died for you. I'm appalled by you. And yet Christ died for you. And your life is sacred too. That, that's the first step. And that's all we're going to focus on today. Just that step. Just that. God has many more, but we're just going to focus on that. The way we're going to focus on that is by praying a prayer together. It's a prayer when we had our prayer emphasis here uh, that we taught and one that we want to be a part of the vocabulary inside your head uh, when you pray. It's called the Prayer of St. Francis. You might have picked up a prayer guide. You can find this prayer within our prayer guide. It's one of the great prayers of the Christian tradition. If you don't have one of these, if you weren't here when we passed these out, there are some on the tables as you leave. Please pick one up. And let's not just say these words together. Let's make sure we pray them. That as we say them, uh, we direct them to God, our Father, uh, the God who holds the whole world in his hands. Let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood 
as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.